Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This week, I'm talking with Daryl Berg, who is the music supervisor for Crown Media, which owns the Hallmark Channel and Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. He has worked with Fremantle Media as head of music and worked on various game shows. We are talking about the kind of music Hallmark is looking for and the kind of music composers need to create if they want to get into game show music, plus the importance of knowing who your audience is when you're creating music for TV. Get ready to take lots of great notes. Hey guys, I am hanging out and talking with Mr. Daryl Berg. How are you today, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking time to come on and onto my show and talk and... Um, and share your expertise of all the different things that you've done in the music industry. And you have just for our audience to know you are currently the vice president of music, music strategies and licensing for crown media, mm-hmm. which is the parent company for, Hall- for Hallmark channel and the Hallmark movies, um, which is awesome. You got a, a huge audience of people around the world that love Hallmark movies. <laughs> yeah, no, tell me about it. It was, when I got here, I didn't realize the, the ship that I had jumped onto. I knew they oh, were yeah. successful, but it was, it's pretty nuts. The number one network, fourth quarter of the year, and it's just, it's crazy. That's awesome. So we'll get into all that uh, here in a few minutes, but if you can, just for our audience, kind of give us a, a brief history of, of who you are and where you're from and kind of what got you in into the music to begin with. I am from a small town on Long Island called Comac, New York, which is basically a flyover town between New York City and the Hamptons. Um, Not a lot going on there except for malls and street hockey. And went to school in upstate New York, graduated, went to law school in New York City with the intent of being uh, some sort of music lawyer, entertainment lawyer, something like that. Um, And... My career kind of diverged when I realized I was a terrible law student. I graduated past the bar and all that. Okay. Um, but, you know, it was it was a little bit of a struggle. You know, law school is not the easiest thing in the world. Sure. So, anyway, graduated law school, met two gentlemen named Richard and Scott. Uh, Richard was a very well-known producer. Scott was a record industry guy. And together with me as a minority uh, partner, we founded a company called The Orchard, which is still around today, right. uh, which is a much bigger company than when I left it. And, you know, when, when I wanted to go a different direction with my career, um, ended up taking a job, moving me out to L.A. to be the director of biz dev new media over at EMI, which is now, uh, uh, I guess it's universal after all the cards have shaken out. But back right. then it was it was EMI uh, Capital. Right. Um, and did that for a few years, did every crazy, you know, I basically in that job, I looked at all the digital media 
and figured out where our catalog went best. I was sort of the Uber consumer, so to speak. I played with a lot of technology and saw, saw where we were going to go. Um, and, you know, I got deposed in the Napster lawsuit. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was an interesting time, for sure. It was sort of the end of the first wave of digital music, you know, when Napster kind of, everybody thought Napster had killed everything and before we got into the streaming services. Right. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting experience. And before the launch of the iPhone, actually, which okay. kind of changed everything a little bit because now you had a place to play all these MP3s that everybody was talking about uh, that was better than and held more music than the Rio, whatever that thing was called. The Rio is a little plastic colorful thing. Anyway, uh, uh, in 2002, Mariah Carey got paid $50 million to go away from Capitol Records or Virgin Records, I think, and I got laid off. So that was fun. Uh-huh. Um, the, while, while trying to figure out my next steps, I met a wonderful gentleman named John who I was good friends with who said, hey, we should start a company together doing music licensing and supervision. And I said, sure, that sounds good, thinking I don't know what else I'm going to do right now. I'm a 27-year-old or 26-year-old dinosaur, 27-year-old dinosaur, where the digital music industry had kind of imploded on itself. And I said, sure, I'll try this. He goes, look, you have a licensing background, you have a law degree, you love music, what could go wrong? <laughs> did that, launched a company called Crusty Old Timer, because uh, John always wanted to be called a crusty old timer. Okay. Uh, neither of us were over 30 at the time, I think. <laughs> okay. um, and we ended up working, you know, pitching music to music supervisors before anyone was doing this. And we had some pretty big labels, Ninja Tune and Secretly Canadian and all that. Labels that now have full music pitching departments. But we were so ahead of our time, we kind of didn't, I don't know if it was unfocused or... We just wanted to be kind of on the on the on the supervision side, but we worked on a few movies, Dawn of the Dead, and um, Walking Tall with the Rock, and a few indie stuff, and just you know ate what we killed until finally John had a relationship with some people launching a new network at Fox called Fuel TV, who hired us to be the music department. So the two of us off we went for eight years, and I did you know I licensed probably ten thousand songs over the course of eight years. Wow. So basically, uh, Fuel TV came calling, and we ran the music department there. Uh, booked or, or licensed about 10,000 songs, worked on marketing programs, uh, booked about 700 bands in five years over for a show called The Daily Habit, which was super fun. Booking um, booking a live band is possibly the funnest thing you will ever do, booking a live band for television. Yeah. Super cool experience. And um, yeah, I absolutely adored it. It was really So great. let me ask you this. Why is that? Why is that so much fun? And how do you, you get to have a live concert in what's essentially your work, your office every day? <laughs> exactly, that makes sense. You know, and we were early on bands. We had we were like the first people to have Foster the People and Edward Sharp and Mumford and Sons, and we had Blink One Eighty Two, and they just got back together. So many huge bands that became huge that we were early on. And it was sort of a function of we needed to take chances on bands because we were this tiny little network, and we just kind of did it. Uh, and anyway, so that after eight years, it was time to move on. So I decided to take a job over at Revely, Revely Productions, which was a, did The Office and Biggest Loser and a bunch of other shows like that, running music there on my own. Uh, that ended up becoming a company called Shine America. Um, and after a few years, I ended up leaving to follow my boss over to a company called Fremantle. Did that for a couple, which is, uh, the, you know, a bunch of game shows and oh, yeah. America's Got Talent and America, American Idol and American Gods and if, you know anything with the word American and apparently they did, they did a lot of that. <laughs> right. It's funny because we were owned by Germans, they're Brits. And then so anyway, it was time 
to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I decided to go out on my own for a couple of years, worked on a bunch of projects, uh, some movies, a Biggie Smalls movie that will never come out probably because of litigation, uh, a bunch of digital stuff. Again, back in the kill what I eat mode. So finally I came home one day, my wife came home one day and said, it's time. I go, what are you talking about? She goes, it's time for you to get out of the house. I was working out of my back office, but she's like, you come home, you babble all the time. She's like, you need to go meet with people all day. And I was like, all right. And, and so at some point while looking for new work and still keeping my business afloat, I ran into, I got headhunted for the uh, Crown Media job. And at first I was like, Hallmark, that's kind of a different type of thing. And then they told me the success of the network. And I was like, who doesn't want to jump aboard a moving train? Right. And so here I did everything that I was doing at Endemol and Fremantle, which is everything from running music publishing, doing all the supervision. I work very closely with composers here. Uh, I work on marketing programs, pretty much anything that I booked. I booked a live uh, music, uh, country music concert that we did. So really anything that touches music, I'm involved in. And that's my story. Wow. And along the way, I got married and had a, uh, I had a, uh, have a five-year-old daughter now. Oh, well, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. So for Fremantle, I'd like to talk about that for a second, because you work with a lot of game shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you go about music, getting music for a particular game show? Are you working with composers specifically that are creating that type of music or are you reaching out to, to uh, individuals? You know, oh, that's all composed. It's 100% composed. Once in a blue moon, you might use a score cue or, you know, a library cue, but it is 100% composed and you maximize value that way. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you're running a game show, you want to own as much of that music as humanly possible because the back end royalties for game shows are enormous because everything's themed out and all that type of stuff. Right. So how do you go about finding a composer specifically that, because game show music is very specific. It's not like just, it's not writing a pop song, you know? Right. So it's because it's so intricate and so detailed and, you know, in what the sounds are, um, how do you go about finding a composer that can do that kind of music? Um, somebody who's done it in the past. I know that sounds weird because where do you, you know, where's the chicken or the egg? Where does it start? Right. But it's definitely, um, you definitely want someone who's, uh, has that type of sensibility, somebody who can make, you know, really big sounding stuff really quickly and, and, and short little snippets. Um, you know, you don't want somebody who's going to do these big overwrought things or these super stylized things. You want to go short, sharp and shocked. Okay. You know, I, I wouldn't, you know, and the, the problem, you know, it's sort of like the old definition of obscenity. I'll know it when I hear it or I'll know right. it when I see it. So it, it's really hard to tell. Uh, and sometimes you just got to take a chance on somebody. Okay, look, because at the end of the day, uh, what a composer's best thing that they can do is use their ears to listen and not necessarily to be making music. You know, you learn more from listening to speaking. It's the same thing with a composer, right? It's, you know, composing is like you, you, they present you some ideas and eventually you kind of peel those out until you, you have what is is sort of the final concept. Right. If someone that's a composer is wanting to get into game show music, like how, what would you suggest them do to make friends with production company people? Okay. Yeah. So with crown media, so you're working with Hallmark, the like Christmas movies. And I mean, you got it's year round for you guys. I know the murders and mysteries and all this kind of stuff. Um, when you're looking for music for those types of programs, um, how do you determine what what style of music to use in particular types of movies or shows? Um, whatever the executives want. We could go anywhere from Sinatra to modern folk pop to you know love ballads to all that type of stuff. And it really is it's it's 
it, it's whatever fits. I, you know, I know that, um, for example, we're not going to use metal. Right. Um, I know that we're not going to use, you know, a lot of hip hop. It's really just what we feel at the moment of what we're kind of trying to accomplish. We want to also make sure that it doesn't feel alien to our audience. That's a huge thing. We also, you know, we want to maybe have it sound fresh, but also we understand what our audience is and we don't want to, we don't want to kind of force them away. Sure. Um, is there a certain percentage that you would say, you know, genre wise that you normally fall within for a Hallmark movie outside of Christmas, but just in, you know, um, outside of Christmas? Country, we use a lot of folk pop, you know, Mumford and Sons and of Manchas and Men and stuff like that. Strumbellas we use a lot of. Um, we use a lot of, you know, traditional sort of female focused pop, the Megan Trainers and Carly Rae Jepsen's of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, you know, some classic poppy rock stuff. Um, obviously the Sinatras and the, a lot of Motown. We're more diverse than you would think, but not as diverse as, as, as a lot of other stuff for sure. Sure. No, that makes complete sense because it has to, you know, it has to fit within the context of what the, the movie or the show is about. Exactly. Obviously. Do you find that you guys prefer to use more like independent artists versus major label artists? You know, it really depends on the budget. Sometimes we use major labels. Sometimes we use independent. Sometimes we use emerging. It's literally whatever our appetite for budget is. Okay. And if a production company comes to you and says, okay, we're going to, you know, we're creating this show for Hallmark and, you know, we need music that is folk pop. Right. Um, let's not include major label artists because that's, that's kind of a separate thing, but you know, you've got a budget that allows you for, you know, independent artists. Do you prefer to reach out to people that, you know, specifically like certain artists that you know, or do you prefer? To- I go out to the people who send me my blood, you know, people who I trust, who I know are going to get me stuff that makes sense. You know, I, I you know, I'll, I'll use a shotgun more than a laser just because you never know who has what. And I want people to know that I'm active. But, you know, there's definitely people I trust more than others. And, and the people who are on my search brief are definitely my trusted people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 if I like you and, and your music makes sense, I'll add you. But if you keep sending me stuff that I don't need for when I ask for something or, you know, hey, here, you know, I don't have folk pop, but here's country. Or, hey, I don't have folk pop, but here's metal. Then you lose that privilege. Sure. That Unlike voting, which is a right, being on my list is a privilege. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. Um, and... When you say people that you trust, you're talking about licensing agents. Exactly. Yeah. So the importance of having a licensing agent is when you're writing as an artist and a songwriter uh, and a producer is is paramount. You know, I, I make 103 movies a year. I need this to be as quick and painless as humanly possible. And I, don't have, I don't really have the time to babysit, to be honest with you. You know, it, it's translate my words into music and give me what you got and, you know, don't call me, email me. If you call me, I'm like, please don't do that. Because imagine if all, you know, a few hundred people I have on my list called me about every question, I literally would just be an operator all day. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just trying to maximize no. value. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you got 103 movies you have to, that you're making, <laughs> you know, you're, you're busy. So when you are, when you've got a, a certain show that you're working on or a certain movie, and let's say that folk pop genre is what you're looking for, uh, lyrically, Like, do you know lyrically what you're looking for at all times? I know what I, you know, you know what it is? I know what I'm not looking for. You know, I love, there's a Maren Morris song. I forget the name of the song, but it's like, 
I want to do this with you. And it would be so amazing, except in the lyric, then she goes, I want to get stoned with you. And I'm like, I right. can't use that. So, Absolutely. you know, I can't talk about, you know, one night stands and I can't talk about getting, you know, I guess drinking's okay. You know, but we have to understand what our audience is and we don't want to do anything that's too aggressively controversial is not the right word, but aggressively substance related. And we, sure. don't, we don't want to lead too much with the sexualization of stuff. We really want to keep it fairly family friendly. So, you know, getting stoned and one night stands tend not to be family friendly. Right. Um, you know, even on the coasts. And so we want to, we want to basically sanitize, not the right word. Cause that's too like edited, but we really want to keep, you know, positivity out there. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got a certain, image that hallmark portrays exactly you know? and so it it's again it's got to fit within the context of what that story is exactly hallmark. i tuck my shirt in when i go to work right <laughs> that's awesome so what advice would you give to artists and producers and songwriters that are wanting to get their music into a hallmark movie I would, you know, feel like I take everybody's email and I'll listen to it, but I don't want to put single people on my email blast list because then it'll be like 5,000 people and that's just a challenge. I would right. say, you know, find somebody who you know does business with us already and see if they're interested in music, their music and see if it works for us. I would always go through a pitch agent or a publisher or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you don't work with any individual artists themselves. So I mean, I, I've worked with individual artists, but I've worked with people who like have written songs directly for me who have been pitched to me. Right. You know, then I'll work, go individual artists, but very rarely do I go, hey, I like your music. You know, unless it's something that I find, you know, the thing to be honest with you is most music that's good and, and marketable already has somebody involved with it. That's just the, the nature of the beast. Right. So, yeah, and I, that makes complete sense. So uh, for I'm just asking for people that are kind of newer getting into this. And like I said, I've got people that have been doing this for a while, so they kind of have some of those place, things in place, but for people that are kind of hearing this for the first time and because everybody that I know wants to have music in a Hallmark movie, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, it's one of the top tier things that I hear is, right. uh, you know, I want to, I want to get music in Hallmark because it's so popular and there's just so many movies and you know, that there's gotta be a place for it. So, you know, just trying to figure out how to, to navigate those waters to get their music to the right place so that it can actually get to you. Um, if you're, if you're the person making that decision. Right. You know, so the importance of getting a licensing agent is is really paramount for you. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, a small publishing deal, obviously, as long as they don't take too many, you know, as long as it's the right deal for you. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I highly recommend publishing agents. Do you prefer... Or pitch agents, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Do you prefer artists and songs that are one-stop um, so that they're going straight to, you know, they don't have... a multiple publishing agents that you have to oh i mean look if i'm going to go indie on. yes if i'm going to go major label i don't expect that but if you're an indie artist make my life easy right sure well you know what you are a super busy man and i'm not going to keep you today but 100 103 movies that you're working on it sounds like so i'm not going to keep you today but i want to say thank you for um just coming in and 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 giving some brief snippets of information that's really good for my listeners. And, um, you know, if there's any, any final information, final feedback, or maybe some do's or don'ts that you would suggest, um, you know, for people listening, what would that be? Um, don't call me, email me, um, be nice, yeah. be polite. And if you follow up, do it once a month, not once a week. Perfect. That's awesome. Now, just to, to clarify, when you say email you, 
are you, does that mean that an artist is welcome to email you and to try to go around the music uh, licensing agency and to work with I you mean, directly? I'll or... listen, but, but don't abuse the privilege. I would say if you can get to me, great, I'll listen to it. But my advice is always, it's a lot easier to go to a pitch through a pitch person. Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on and, and giving, giving a little bit of your time of the day and to share your expertise and what you've done and what you're looking for, because that's what the, the people in my audience are looking for. They're trying to find those little nuggets of information that kind of can help them kind of move forward, you know, connecting with people like yourself. So I'm grateful for you and for your time and, and, um, and wish you all the success in the world. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. All right, guys, there you go. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today and that you're able to take what we talked about and as always, apply it to your career and what you're trying to do in the music industry. I would love to know how it's working out for you. Please, please email me. Send me a message. Let me know what you're, what you're going through, what you're doing. Uh, if you've got questions for future guests, I would love to know that. You can email me at contact at johnmartinkeith.com and I would love to hear from you. You can also reach me on Facebook on the podcast page, You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry. Just search that on Facebook and that'll take you to the page. Please subscribe to it, like to it, share with everyone you know. Please, uh, wherever platform you're listening to this podcast on, please subscribe to it and, and share it and get it out. I would be so appreciative of that. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.